Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson bringing to you news this week from Brazil, the United States, and a see you in hell that's the celebration of a dead right-wing figure from India. Starting out with Brazil, uh, this is also actually happening in the United States, we're continuing to follow the results of Jair Bolsonaro's attempt both on election day in Brazil last year and also on January 8th of this year to try to remain the president of Brazil. It is looking increasingly likely, based on the testimony and claims of government officials in Brazil, that he will not be eligible to run for president in Brazil in the next four years. However, many of those government officials also don't believe that he is going to be in prison or actually under any particular type of investigation for the next four years, probably because of the difficulty of actually bringing charges against him, that sort of thing, and also the fact that he is still currently in the United States. He says that he's going to be going back to Brazil in March in order to lead opposition forces against his opponent Lula, but he has also waffled on that in the past, so it's possible that this is delaying tactics. Now, moving on to the United States. The Michigan GOP has gotten an election denier to lead their state party. This particular candidate had previously failed as the GOP candidate for Michigan's Secretary of State. And although she was not the candidate for the chair of the party that was endorsed by Donald Trump, Donald Trump has since praised her as, quote, a powerful and fearless election denier, and also says, quote, that she is a sign of the party's takeover by Trump loyalists. Immediately after her election to this state party leadership position, she went on Steve Bannon's show, The War Room, which has become like one of the main disseminators of extreme right-wing propaganda in the United States. This indicates that, Don that the Donald Trump camp is really intently and purposefully, systematically taking over the state parties of states that Donald Trump wants to make sure that he carries in the upcoming presidential election in 2024. Like this, this is just that attempt, right? She is putting herself in this position and she is blatantly saying that like she thinks that Biden is an illegitimate president and that Donald Trump is in fact the president. And so she's going to conduct herself that way if she remains the leader of the Michigan GOP in 2024. Moving on to Andrew Tate, I guess I misspoke, Andrew Tate is not in the United States. He's in Romania because his detention has been renewed for another month. Now, for those of you who are mercifully unaware of who Andrew Tate is, I commend you and I am apologizing for bursting your bubble. But Andrew Tate is an extremely popular, or rather was an extremely popular, misogynist quote-unquote influencer. He holds dual U.S. and U.K. citizenship and initially became famous and wealthy due to a successful kickboxing career. He then transitioned that into a quote-unquote influencer career. I say quote-unquote influencer not because he doesn't meet the qualifications. He does. He has massive online followings and influences lots of people, uh, but rather because I think that he's a terrible influence and should be opposed, right? You know, he shouldn't be influencing anybody anywhere. He was arrested earlier in Romania for human trafficking, and his detention has recently been renewed for another month. This is after he boasted for years about how easy it would be for him to bribe his way out of Romanian prison. He and his brother have been accused of human trafficking and also rape. They have had three million in assets taken from their place, including cars, just like cash, all sorts of stuff like that. 
The other new information that we've gotten this week about Andrew Tate is just research showing his astonishing reach, the, the, the terrifying reach of the content that he provides specifically to young men. Now, this survey is specifically coming out of the United Kingdom. A recent survey there shows that four out of five boys in their late teens, you know, 16 to 17, had read or listened to or watched content from this guy. That is 80% of young men have seen or listened to or heard content from this influencer. That is far fewer, uh, only 60% of boys that age had heard of the current prime minister of the United Kingdom, Rishi Sunak. Now, partly that might be as a result of the fact that the UK has had a bunch of prime ministers in the last couple months, which is its own entirely different right-wing story. But the point is that, you know, they don't know who politicians are, but they do know who this misogynist rapist is. 45% of boys this same age have a positive view of Andrew Tate. Again, this is after he has been detained for human trafficking and also, again, rape. Only 1% of women their age have a positive view of Andrew Tate, showing that they understand fully well what this person is and what he represents. This is a sign of the increasing right-wing radicalization of young men, and incidentally, that is something that I am writing a book about. I am writing a book about how to prevent the right-wing radicalization of young men. It's going to be coming out next year, so stay tuned for that. Continuing on with news about the United States, we now know that Alex Jones was really worried about his increasing contact with Nick Fuentes, the right-wing white nationalist, Christian nationalist, incel influencer. Specifically, Alex Jones was worried that contact with Fuentes would lead him into greater contact with the FBI. Now, this is information that's coming out of um, leaks that were from Alex Jones's text messages and other messages. These were revealed to the public by mistake via a civil lawsuit against Alex Jones, which regarded his denial of the Sandy Hook Elementary School massacre. His defense attorneys, in an attempt to share information that they were supposed to share with the other side of the civil case, accidentally shared the entire contents of Alex Jones's hard drive and thereby revealed to all of us a massive amount of information about Alex Jones's position in the far right in general. Specifically, we now know that Alex Jones was worried that Nick Fuentes would be connected to FBI surveillance and that he was worried about this because of a guy named Matt Culligan, who had turned informant against Fuentes and Alex Jones for the FBI. All of this information is coming out of a new series of reports published by the Southern Property Law Center regarding all of these leaked pieces of information, and I, I highly suggest that you go over and check out those reports. They're, they're extremely informative and very useful. And speaking of similar reports that are coming out that we're just like terrified to see that just really show us a bunch of horrible, horrible revelations that unfortunately we have no right to be fully surprised by, we can now prove that the D.C. police were in contact with the Proud Boys during and right before the January 6th insurrection. We can prove this now. We can now see texts between Enrique Tarrio, the former leader of the Proud Boys and the leader of the Proud Boys at the time of the January 6th insurrection, and a lieutenant from the D.C. Metropolitan Police's Intelligence Bureau. This guy it was uh, Lieutenant Shane Lamond. We can also see from the messages between Lamond 
and Tario, which come from a, a series of leaks of the messages of this intelligence bureau. So we can show that Lamond and Tario weren't just in contact, they were friends. They've hung out, they've gotten beers together. Specifically, we know that they got beers after, like a couple of days after Tario started a fire at the site of a predominantly black church in Washington, D.C., where he publicly burned a Black Lives Matter flag. So yeah, this is D.C. cops chilling, like hanging out at a bar for fun with actual fascists who were committing hate crimes against black people in our nation's capital, leading up to an intentional planned insurrection and attempt to overthrow the government of the United States. Now, that's them on a personal level. On a political level, these leaked texts show that Lamond gave Tario information that the cops had about their supposed common enemy, that is Antifa. There are multiple texts between Lamond and Tario, with Lamond telling Tario like where Antifa was, you know, saying that like, hey, you could go get him, saying where there were clashes between the fascists and Antifa, telling Tario to like, you know, reduce tensions or to help him get his guys out of there before arrests happened. The messages were about telling Tario where the crackdowns were happening so that things could stay easy for the Proud Boys, right? But again, they were also specifically telling him where to strike Antifa. He was also warning Tario about the actions of Antifa in trying to uncover where the Proud Boys were staying ahead of their insurrections and their activities in D.C. just prior to the insurrection in late December 2020. Now, after these revelations, after it's become clear that Lamond was in contact with Terrio, he has been put on leave. Some people in the D.C. Metro Intelligence Bureau say that it's possible that this was part of, you know, his being an intelligence officer, right? He was possibly in contact with Terrio and that he was using this schmoozing in order to get information to make a case against the Proud Boys. There is some possibility to this, right? You know, we can't disprove it. And it is also well known among people on the right wing that Tario has been accused of and is uh, under heavy suspicion of being a snitch. And so it's entirely possible that this is part of that relationship, right? That Tario was using this information in order to bolster his position in the Proud Boys as part of his efforts to work with the DC Metro Police. I, you know, I guess that that is possible. But frankly, as somebody who studies the right wing, I, I'm telling you that there's an Occam's Razor answer here. The Oxen's Razor is that this is a cop who's working with a fascist. That, that, that kind of doesn't require a whole lot of explanation. Cops just like fascism. They like fascists. They work with fascists, especially the Intelligence Bureau of Cops. Like, this is the Intelligence Bureau of the police in the country's capital, ahead of a major insurrection, which, again, they knew about and did very little to stop. These are precisely the sorts of things that Brazil is seriously investigating and going after people for, like, very intensely. And here in the United States, so we, we, you know, we put them on leave. We put them on administrative leave. Like, this is, this is horrific. It, it, it boggles the mind how, how terribly we are fumbling the response, how terribly we are doing the investigation into this attempt to overthrow the government, which, again, occurred, like, two years ago. And, and still, still there's, there, there's so little done. Ugh. It, uh, uh, it's awful. It's terrible. Finally going to close out this week, like I do every week, with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. 
This week, I'm talking about a very complicated figure. His name is Vinayak Sarvakar, a complex figure of Hindu nationalism in India between the 19th and 20th centuries. Sarvakar was born in Bagar in the Mumbai area in 1883, and his involvement in Indian independence struggles began at an early age in his high school and college years. He, early on in his life, wrote an important book called The Indian War for Independence, which is about the rebellion of 1857, a rebellion that pitted sort of Hindu nationalist rebels against the British East India Company. This rebellion, which the British government had to step in and topple, as opposed to relying on the British East India Company, really precipitated full British imperial rule in India. This book was banned in India and resulted in a lot of political persecution against Sarvakar as an Indian nationalist and as an opposition to British colonial rule. He was imprisoned but released in 1924. By the 1930s, Sarvakar had become a major advocate for what he called Hindutva, Hindu nationalist identity, as opposed to Islam, as opposed to British identity, and even independent of actual religious practice. Uh, supposedly, Sarvakar himself was an atheist and not particularly religious on his own. Hindutva is a nationalist ideology and has come to become the foundation of the ideology of the RSS and the BJP, the leading political parties of India. The RSS being one of the biggest and most successful right-wing paramilitary organizations in the 20th century in any country. Sarvakar remained a vocal advocate for Hindutva and you know, a writer and a commentator in this vein for the remainder of his life. In the late 1930s, he was a vocal supporter of Hitler and Mussolini and described fascism as essentially, quote-unquote, you know, their own form of nationalism, that kind of thing. He even believed that oppressing Jews in Germany was good, but also said that he wanted Israel to exist in order to combat the power of Muslims in the Middle East. In 1948, Savarkar was arrested on suspicion that he was involved with the assassination of Mohandas Gandhi, the pacifist leader of India's independence movement against the British. Gandhi's assassin, uh, Naratham Godze, was a political associate of Savarkar. Savarkar, however, was released on lack of evidence. However, he was essentially barred from public life from the remainder of his life. He committed suicide by fasting in 1966, several years after the death of his wife. And he died this week in history, February 26th, 1966. So, Sarvakar, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. All right. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you next week.